0: about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, and today our topic is the timely new book, Adrenaline Nation, and our guest is author Peter McCarthy. A 20-year military pilot, commander and trainer, and a former Southwest Airlines commercial pilot, Peter is also a nationally board-certified traditional naturopath and CEO of Life Energy Holistic Partners, an integrative stress management and wellness consulting practice, and he is also chairman of the Texas Health Freedom Coalition. Peter, how are you doing today?
1: Just great, Alan, and thanks for having me on the show today.
0: Let's start off with the basic question. What is stress?
1: Well, you know, that's a question that I had to answer for myself at the very outset of the research that I did because it seems like there's as many definitions of stress as there are people. It's a lot like looking at the corner of a big painting when you hear one definition of stress. And trying to determine what the rest of the painting looks like. So I went and did a lot of research both in the healthcare system as well as online, primarily in the business community. And what I came up with is that stress can be said to be the, any stimulus that activates the body's fight-flight response, but also the results of that stimulus. And that's backed up by a lot of good scientific literature that I uh, looked through over the four years that uh, it took me to research and write the book. So there's my definition.
0: Can you give us some of the components of stress, according to your definition?
1: Well, I have broken down the stress, the, the phenomenon that we know as chronic stress, into a six-block qualitative model called the stress stack. And it goes way beyond what the standard uh, definition is according to the conventional health care com- uh, community because it includes a lot of things that we consider to be quote-unquote normal. So, for example, there are dietary influences, the foods and beverages that uh, activate the body's fight flight response. There are lifestyle influences that are... Things that we experience every day, such as traffic jams, uh, office work, having to multitask, etc., that we consider normal in this society but add to our stress load. The cognitive filter, the, the prism through which we view the world and therefore what determines our reaction to stress. The nutritional gap, the difference between what our bodies get on a daily basis, and what they actually need. And that can contribute in a big way towards a chronic stress pattern. Toxic influences, chemical, biological, radiological. And then there's something called the trigger factor, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, that if added on top of your already significant stress load, can accelerate your descent into
0: serious illness. What are some of the major characteristics of the stress stack?
1: Well, the stress stack has a number of major characteristics. The first is that, th- that it's unique to each individual. A very famous biochemist by the name of Williams determined that we are all biochemically unique, and he published a famous book on the subject. Well, it stands to reason, therefore, that our reaction to stress is also unique it's also cumulative if you don't take substantive positive action to alleviate it. If you just leave it as it is and just try to put a Band-Aid or Band-Aids on it, it will continue to grow over time. It's also dynamic. It changes from day to day. An example can be driving in traffic jams during the work week. You experience stress when you're driving in that crowded traffic scenario during the week, but chances are it's a whole different story on the weekend. And finally, stress stack is holistic, and I mean that not from the standpoint of its association with complementary and alternative medicine, but more to the point that it is something that encompasses a number of different, actually most factors of your life. And so, therefore, it's not really amenable to magic bullet solutions. Take this pill, do this meditation, etc., and your stress will be gone. You really have to take a broad-based approach to stress in order to be able to cover all the bases.
0: Peter, can you tell us a little more about the dietary influences in the stress stack?
1: Sure. Dietary influences I define as those stressors that activate the body's fight-flight response directly. And they're what I like to call all the usual suspects. They're caffeine, processed sugar, white flour, artificial sweeteners, and trans fats. And while I recognize that the mechanism of action of each of those is somewhat different in the body, at the ultimate end, the other end, when they are actually ingested and now they're working their way in in, throughout our body, they do cause stress each in their own way. So, for example, caffeine is a direct adrenal gland stimulator, and many people know that the adrenal glands are the primary managers of our body's stress response. Likewise, processed sugar and white flour, which create huge swings in the blood glucose, the blood sugar, are require a considerable demand on the adrenal glands in the, in the form of se- secreting what they call glucocorticoid, to process all of that uh, sugar in the body. And that's why you experience the sugar high followed by the sugar crash because they, mo- they move so fast into the bloodstream. Artificial sweeteners create their own unique set of stressors, and the one that has perhaps the most detrimental impact is aspartame, which actually causes the body to want to overeat. But then it stores what, the, what you ingest in the fat cells, Plus, it has a very detrimental impact in a number of ways on your brain chemistry so that you're more susceptible to developing psychosomatic illnesses like depression and anxiety. And then there's trans fats. And trans fats compete at the cellular level for latching onto the cell membrane with the good fats that we actually need to synthesize our stress hormones. And unfortunately, trans fats will beat the good fats every time. So in that respect, they deny the body the raw material that it needs to synthesize adequate amounts of stress hormones and cause stress.
0: What about lifestyle choices? Are they part of the stress stack?
1: Well, lifestyle influences are definitely part of each individual's stress stack. And as you might expect, there are innumerable factors that impact on a person's daily lifestyle. Some of the more significant ones are, as I mentioned previously, driving and traffic jams. Uh, It's a little-known fact that the average corporate employee that drives into a major metropolitan area during the average 40-year working lifetime experiences about 20,000 rush hour events going to and from work, and many, if not most of those, can cause stress. Sleep deprivation is another major factor that is really endemic in the society. You know, we've heard for years that we should get seven to eight hours of sleep at night, but now it's even more difficult to do that, primarily because there are so many entertainment distractions that are available in the form of television, video games, computer, that are available 24-7 at the touch of a mouse or a button. So it's becoming increasingly uh, difficult for many people to get adequate sleep, and they justify their uh, ability to go without sleep by saying, oh, that's fine, I'll just have another cup of coffee in the morning. Well, we've just talked about the detrimental impact of coffee, so you can see that we're really experiencing a compounding and an accumulation of the stress stack with those kinds of uh, c- scenarios that are played out innumerable times in America day in and day out other things that can impact the uh, the, the life's, your lifestyle are your relationships and perhaps your office environment because they the in basket which of course is never empty is constantly demanding your time, demanding your attention. And if you're having to scatter your attention across other tasks at the same time, it can cause stress. So there are just a few examples of many, many more that are out there in American society that have the the real potential to cause stress.
0: What exactly is the trigger factor? You mentioned it in your book a couple of times.
1: Okay. Well, the trigger factor, I think, can be described best by giving you an example. And See if you know somebody like this, or maybe you yourself have experienced this. A person can be, appear to be in very good health for many years, yet when they experience a significant negative life event, perhaps the loss of a job, the loss of a close family member like a spouse or a child, or perhaps something like an automobile accident or any other accident that causes injury, their health starts a long slide, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, that results in them never really being able to attain good health again, and they ultimately slide into serious illness and frequently to death. Well, we Westerners, especially here in America, think linearly in terms of cause and effect. And what we wind up doing is looking at that event and say, well, that's what caused all the problems. When in actuality, most of those people have been carrying a very high stress load for a very long period of time that's comprised of the other five blocks of the stress stack, and that trigger factor, that unfortunate incident, is really the straw that broke the camel's back that exceeded their body's ability to adapt to further stress, and that's why they wound up sick.
0: Why do you refer to the operation of our body's stress response as a limited line of credit?
1: Well, you know, I wanted to use that analogy because everybody's used to hearing the term line of credit. You know, we all have credit limits on our credit card. Our our bank balance determines how much money we can spend out of our checking or savings account. And people recognize that there are inherent limits there. Well, the same thing applies to the human body. We get our energy primarily through ingestion of foods and beverages, and it's a limited supply. Yet we seem to treat our bodies in our society as if we had an unlimited supply of energy, and that all we have to do is ingest enough so-called energy drinks or energy foods, and we can quote-unquote keep going. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Just like when you exceed the credit limit on your credit card, you have adverse financial consequences occur, things like uh, overdraft fees and that kind of thing. Same thing happens in the human body. If you exceed the body's energy limits, the body loses its ability to adapt, and ultimately your continual imposition of stress on your own body can result in serious illness.
0: Well, continuing down that same line of thinking, you contrast the difference between men's and women's response to chronic stress as head in the sand versus climbing the sand dune. Can you explain a little bit more about that?
1: Most men tend to ignore signals in their bodies, and it's simply because it's a cultural mindset, really, that I can take it, I can can withstand it. And they typically ignore those signals until they actually have to now deal with some sort of serious illness instead of paying attention to the signals at an earlier point in time so that they're able to take care of the problem when it's much more manageable. In the case of women, we have asked the women in our society to be so many things at once, wife, mother, corporate executive, Business owner, the list goes on. And they, I commend them all for what they do because they contribute incredibly to the well being of our society. But in the process, so many of them trying to juggle these tasks all at once. It's like trying to climb a sand dune in terms of being able to take care of their health because they routinely overtax their bodies. And if you've ever tried to climb a sand dune, it's very easy for you to lose your footing and go sliding back down to the bottom. And that's very frequently what happens to many women in our society who overextend themselves, overstress themselves, and wind up, trying to climb that sand dune and frustratingly for them, sliding back down into poorer health.
0: You devote another whole chapter to the process of change and its importance in successfully mastering stress. Is that really so important?
1: You know, it's interesting because somebody very wise, and it's an anonymous quote once said that change is hard because people overestimate what they have and underestimate what they stand to gain and that is no more true in our society than in making changes in our habit patterns in order for us to be able to master our stress load. We are so societally conditioned to think of our food supply, our healthcare uh, system, and the practitioners in the system who provide the services as being the only options available that we just get lulled into a sense of complacency. Deepak Chopra, who I know you're familiar with, calls that the hypnosis of social conditioning. And there's really a a specific process of change that we all go through and it, and it creates a spectrum of change that each of us occupies at any given time. Professors Prochaska and DiClemente in their groundbreaking research in the 70s and 80s, which resulted in what's called the trans-theoretical model of change, shows how people can go from what, he, what they call pre-contemplation, meaning thinking everything's okay, I don't have to make change at all, all the way up to the maintenance of new change.
0: How can people tell that they're in the exhaustion phase of chronic stress?
1: Well, in Chapter 5 of Adrenaline Nation, I talk about the exhaustion phase at length, and I use terms like breaking the bank, bankruptcy, overdrawn, again, to use the financial analogy to show that there are limits that we shouldn't be exceeding. But then I go on and talk about some of the more prevalent manifestations, Uh, and we've alluded to them earlier in the interview, Alan, but probably the most significant one is being unable to get adequate rest. Typically speaking, people in the exhaustion phase of the stress response cannot stay asleep throughout the night. Now, there are other reasons why that happens. We obviously know that. For example, older men typically have to get up and use the restroom at least once a night, and that's accepted in our society. But I'm talking about only being able to stay asleep for two or three hours, waking up, go back to sleep, and now we wake up again. What happens is we don't get the benefit of the deeper stages of sleep that allow our bodies to rest and recuperate, and so we wake up feeling like we've never rested at all. So what happens? We grab for the usual suspects, caffeine, processed sugar, white flour, to get us going and keep us going through the day. The result of that is that you can now see the cycle starting to develop of insulin resistance, over-demand on the adrenal glands, increasing obesity, and perhaps even the onset of adult onset diabetes.
0: Peter, you devote a whole chapter to the connection among stress, ill health, and the health care crisis. Can you connect the dots for our listeners?
1: You know, we Americans are very proud of the fact that we are the most productive workforce in the world, and we've been like that for many, many years. However, there are costs to that, and they accrue in terms of the losses that people experience in the business community due to stress. The American Institute of Stress has indicated that businesses lose over $300 billion a year in lost productivity, loss of valuable workers, absenteeism, and that absenteeism has a cost all in all its own. Between 75 and 90 percent of corporate employee visits to physicians and between 70 and 90 percent of corporate employee visits are due to health concerns whose root cause is stress. And I talk about later in the book how that adds up to billions of dollars in healthcare costs that can be directly attributed to stress not just in terms of the treatment but also uh, or in the uh, terms of the physician or hospital visits but also in terms of the treatment the number of prescription drugs that is prescribed to deal with stress related concerns is staggering it's in the billions of drugs each year
0: Peter obviously stress is a fact for most of us on a daily basis but is it worse during an election year (laughs) That's a good question.
1: You know, I think it certainly adds an increment of stress, and that's part of our lifestyle. You know, we've become used to the idea in our society that elections automatically mean contention. And so you see people, some of whom we each know, who get quite passionate about political issues and the upcoming election, and it can be very stressful if you allow it to. But I also think that we tend to overemphasize the conflict and seem to bypass the cooperation. And until we can get a handle on that, yes, I would have to say elections will continue to be a, a stress factor that we're all going to have to contend with.
0: Peter, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me about your new book, Adrenaline Nation.
1: Well, thank you, Alan. I do appreciate that.
0: Anyone wanting to learn more should visit PeterMMcCarthy.com or Adrenaline-Nation.com. You have been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back again soon with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.